Carton, a writer whom Charles Paris had encountered on the Stanislaus Braid television series. Will's destiny in life, as he kept telling anyone and everyone who would listen, was to write a major, serious stage play. He'd had the idea for years, just a matter of carving out enough time actually to get the thing written. But the creation of the magnum opus kept getting deferred by television work. Well, you have to pay the bills, as Will kept saying with an apologetic shrug. In fact, for Will Parton, as a single man in a highly paid profession living in a two-bedroom flat, the bills were not too daunting. He could easily have afforded a six-month sabbatical to get the play written, had he really had the will to do so. But he found television work so lucrative and... Once he'd taken on board the fact that it involved more rewriting than writing, so comparatively easy, that the serious stage play, like The Horizon, constantly receded. Writing a corporate video for Delmaline was, in spite of the way Will kept talking about taking on a new challenge and broadening my range simply another way of staving off the evil moment when he'd have to find out if his play idea really was any good. But he wasn't involved just as writer. Will Parton, perhaps in reaction to the countless years he had spent being ordered around by countless directors, had recently gone into production. He'd formed a company called Parton Parcel, through which he hoped to dip his own ladle into the corporate gravy train. Though its impressive letterhead featured the names of various friends to give a bit of gravitas, the organization was in fact a one-man band. Will reckoned to bring in other staff as and when required. When he got a production, he would hire in freelance directors, cameramen, sound men, and so on. There was no shortage of such skilled personnel around. The recession in television was biting everywhere. The Delmaline contract was the first that Parton Parcel had secured. Will had followed up a contact in the company who had introduced him to the Delmaline marketing director just at the moment when the managing director had expressed the need for a morale-boosting video. Will Parton had had a meeting with the marketing director, who knew nothing of that particular world, and produced the requisite bullshit as a result of which the part and parcel tender, suitably modest for such a relatively new setup, had been accepted. Charles Paris had had no compunction about accepting Will's offer to put him up for the video. The writer had rung one evening and said, The Delmaline people will take you on my say-so. No problem. They don't know anything about actors. Deciding, as he usually did on such occasions, not to take offense of the inadvertent slight, Charles had responded enthusiastically. The previous few months had been, in Morris Skellern's favorite phrase, quiet, very quiet. In fact, the previous year had been almost totally silent, one of the worst of Charles's career. The rumbles of approaching recession had led to cutbacks in the theater and advertising, and as the commercial companies began the ritual circling which precedes the award of new franchises, Television opportunities had also become very limited. Things were always bad in his profession, but Charles had never known them quite this bad. What is Delmaline? he asked after Will had confirmed an interview time for the following day. Bedtime drink? 
Well, yes, Delmaline Bedtime is the best-known product in this country, but they manufacture a whole bundle of other stuff, all food products. You'd be amazed at the diversity and the places they export to. I tell you, Giles, I've had to read so much guff on Delmaline that I'm now one of the world's experts. I could bore you for hours on the subject. Don't bother. No, I'll leave that to the Delmaline executives. God, they take it all so seriously. Make Muslim fundamentalists look insipid. Oh, that is a thought. One thing, Charles. Yes, you have to take it seriously, too. No giggling. His voice took on a tone of injured innocence. Would I? Won't even answer that. No, please. Whatever crap they talk, and I can guarantee you they will talk plenty of crap straight face, okay? And don't you dare catch my eye. I will be as demure as a Jane Austen heroine. Hmm. The writer didn't sound convinced. Oh, Will, what should I wear? For the interview? Right. In my experience of commercials and things, if you don't turn up in the right gear, you don't get the part. Yes, it'll be just the same with this lot. They haven't got the imagination to realize that an actor's capable of wearing different clothes. Will dropped into the drawl of a theatrical sued. Okay, love, the major role you are being considered for in my new oeuvre is that of a forklift truck driver. A forklift truck driver? Charles echoed in his best Lady Bracknell. I don't believe I am familiar with the customary garb of forklift truck drivers. Well... If you follow the sartorial style of Trevor, who is one of the real ones on site, you'll go for a tasteful status quo T-shirt, a pair of appropriately understated tracksuit bottoms, and rather grubby trainers. Charles moved into his Victorian actor-manager voice. I will obtain the requisite wardrobe, and vocally, I dare say a person in such employment would favor the vowels of the proletariat. Yes, but it'd be a bit off. It shall be done. Okay, Charles, see you tomorrow. Train to Bedford, change there onto the branch line to Stanley Curtain. Factory's just opposite the station. Go to main reception, ask for Ken Colburn's office. Right. Thanks for putting my name up. No problem. But remember, don't giggle. The audition... No, he must stop saying that. It gave away how long he'd been in the business. No actor younger than Charles Paris ever used the word audition... They all talked about interviews these days. The interview for the Delmaline job was not the most artistically taxing that he'd ever undergone. As any actor should, he had, of course, prepared for the encounter to come, trying out voices and expressions in front of his mirror, and taking on the character with its tracksuit, T-shirt, and trainers. It was a mild May. He didn't need any kind of topcoat. For the trained Bedford... He'd even gone to the extent of buying a copy of The Sun, rather than his customary times. Unfortunately, having read every word of the paper twice before the train drew out of St. Pancras, he was reduced to looking out of the window for the rest of his journey. Still, he comforted himself, that is probably what a forklift truck driver would have done, so, boring though it might be, he was at least continuing to get into character. He reflected that, to go the whole hog, he should really have got into a smoking compartment 
and lit up a player's number six. But there were some things, even for his art, Charles Paris could not bring himself to do. Will Parton's directions had been precise, and Charles found his way to the Del Moline site without any hitches. The view from the exit to Stanley Curtain railway station was dominated by a long, two-story brick building directly opposite. Probably late 19th century, it had been built for some unspecified and discontinued industrial purpose, but now unmistakably belonged to Del Moline. The company logo arched hugely over the main gates and reappeared on the new fascia that had been grafted onto the reception area. When Charles asked for Ken Colborn, he was directed out of the main building to the township of low modern rectangles behind. Though these looked boring and functional from the outside, the interior of the office into which he was ushered was anonymously graceful, with black wood and smoked glass, low tables, charcoal sofas and armchairs, expensively photographed and discreetly framed Delmaline products looked down from the walls. Will was already there, and introduced the other two men. The writer was dressed in a voluminous suit and exotic tie, a marked contrast from his customary uniform of denim shirt and jeans. They don't listen to you if you're not wearing a suit, he had confided. Always got to go for the gravitas in this business, you know, Charles. Charles was invited to sink into one of the sofas. Coffee was produced. He sat there waiting to be asked to do his bit, but Ken Colborn, the marketing director, and Robin Pritchard, the project manager for biscuits and cereals, showed no interest at all in his artistic abilities. This was probably just as well. On the phone the night before, Charles and Will Parton had spun some childish fantasies about suitable audition pieces for the meaty role under consideration. Charles had opened the bidding rather feebly with, To lift or not to lift, that is the question. Then Will had gone all Keatsian with a reference to, Bursting Joy's grape against his palate, fine. Charles had counted by, Once more unto the reach truck, friends, once more, Or fill the shelves up with unwanted stock. After which their conversation had degenerated into a series of variations on the word fork, until Charles ended things by saying that such jokes were terribly vulgar and the kind of thing with which he would no longer have any truck. The result of all this was that if he had been asked to read anything, the giggle risk factor might have become unacceptably high. Being in costume and character, as always, reduced the danger but didn't eliminate it completely. Still, so long as he didn't catch Will's eye, Charles found he could look appropriately and soberly impressed, while Ken Colborn expatiated on the many virtues of the Delmaline company and products. I mean, we are very big. And when I say big, I mean big. Isn't that right, Robin? Oh, yes, Ken. Delmaline is big. I mean, still an independent corporation, we haven't been swallowed up into one of the multinationals, but the fact remains that our outreach is big. Global. Robin Pritchard confirmed. Global. Ah, right. Good, said Charles, in his enthusiastic but slightly non-committal off voice. Actually, it was the one he'd used in the birthday party at Berry St. Edmunds. 
Charles Paris's performance seemed nearer to Panto than Pinter. Eastern Daily Press. But though we're big, Ken Colborne went on, we are still a caring company. Caring for the environment, obviously. Isn't that right, Robin? Right, Ken. But also caring for our employees, and that's what this video's about. It's to show that everyone the company employs is part of the Delmaline family, and that big doesn't automatically mean impersonal. The pause extended. Charles, reminding himself he wasn't back in the birthday party, broke the silence with a right. This is something that's a big priority with BT. Right, said Charles again, wondering mildly what British Telecom had to do with food products. He's very much behind the whole concept. Clocking the fact that BT was a person, Charles threw in a good by way of variety. Isn't that right, Robin? Oh, certainly, Ken. The whole thing's really Brian's baby. So that sorted out the B of BT. Brian who? Clearly someone of considerable importance in the hierarchy. Charles nodded thoughtfully, deciding that, given the awe with which the name had been mentioned, it would be inappropriate to ask who BT or Brian was. He wondered if the difference in the way the two men spoke of their superior was another reflection of the difference in their styles. B.T. had a dated and distanced feel to it, while the Brian implied not only a more informal approach, but also greater intimacy in the product manager's relationship. And you've always been the midwife to Brian's babies, haven't you, Ken? As Robin Pritchard said this, Charles was aware of an undercurrent in the younger man's voice. It was nothing as positive as insolence, but the intonation implied some kind of challenge, and a flicker in the marketing director's expression showed that he was aware of that challenge. They were a contrasted pair, Ken Colborne, short and thick-set, grey-haired but with eyebrows and moustache still black. The suit was bluish with close white stripes. The tie, red, blue and white bands of different widths that didn't quite amount to anything regimental. Ken's voice had a midland roughness. He gave the impression of a tough pragmatist who had worked out the hard way. Not a man with a great sense of humour. Certainly not a man to cross. The product manager for biscuits and cereals was a...